In this episode of Josh Reed's Other People's Published Poetry, I'm going to read 11, The Copy of a Kiss, by Clive James, from his collection of poems, Gate of Lilacs, a verse commentary on Proust. 11, The Copy of a Kiss. The naturalist who makes gay sex a garden is heaping hills of flowers around a coffin, and it is his. Right from the start, his book is ending in a transubstantiation by which the genders blend with one another into a Leibstod, and to the end it is beginning in his love of women. So Albertine, when caught out in her vice, Marcel finds out she had a three-way fling with Madame de Ventuil and her friend, still tastes him the way his mother tasted when she came to the nursery to kiss him. Late in the book, he takes a page to say his memory kept no copy of the kiss with which he first acquired from Albertine his knowledge of how ecstasy could feel. But early in the book, when they blend mouths, he tells us how the angle of their noses had mutually to be agreed so as to maximise the contact. Every pore of her young skin is in the picture. Breath from her lungs sends its perfume into his. Sainsbury once said the flavour of a lyric is like a smiling girl. So it is here. The feminine invents the sensual in our erotic childhood, and then imperiously unfolds to fill the mind. When I was first in love, on holiday with my mother in Katoomba, New South Wales, the little girl, we called her Lacey Skirts, would dodge my doting gaze down corridors and swerve into the garden with the flourish of her white frock, and now all I remember is how she frowned, and how I lay awake planning the speeches that would make her smile. The lovelorn hunger I still write with now was born then. So whenever I read of Swan wasting his life with longing for a debt, even when she was his, I see myself, back there in the Blue Mountains, yet again consumed by the sweet torments of a love that never happened. Unless this is it. Like the Fortuny gowns Elastair admires because they bring back the Venetian light of classic painters, Proust's book is a swathe of pleats that open swirling into space as a woman pirouettes wrapped in a wave of cloth that follows her still chasing her when it has caught her. Just the way it moves is feminine in essence. So is he. Perhaps we all are. During his time in Venice in 1900, Proust fell for a bar girl. Or might have. She's in the sweet cheek gone, where the Venice flashback is almost a novel in itself. As Marcel informs us firmly, his love for Albertine is dead and buried. Done with. Forgotten. A closed book. So over. Is he the one he's striving to convince? And was the pretty girl a pretty boy who waited on him at the Florine? Proust must have known, but Marcel doesn't. All this, however, counts as a flash-forward, but first the girl must tease him towards God, as Beatrice did to Dante. In his mind, he had the amorous vision, even if his body, as it were, thought otherwise. As Aristotle tells us in the second chapter of So Pipes Monsieur Pierre, historian of the Fronde, but no one pays him any heed except, of course, for Proust, anatomist of bores, but almost every man he invents is boring. The great duke, the walking castle of the clan Guermont, writes novels about life in the Gratin that are worthy of his grocer. What he does is hardly worth recounting. What he is is all that matters, and what matters most is the poem he is married to, and she the stately, subtle, and divine duchess can be as coldly nasty as her husband, though she never, unlike him, joins in the cry against Dreyfus, which would un- 
undoubtedly have put Proust off. At least we trust it would. A royal couple fabulously dressed and heading for a ball, the pair are told that their close friend is dying. They blame him for selfish timing. Marcel is appalled, but all the more he must admire her style, for this is the perennial human struggle, not politics, though she keeps to her role, which is to fascinate him. He loves her, past anything he felt for Albertine, for this was merely passion's fleeting madness, and Oriane de Guermont is the face, as poised as the ephemeral held still, of death, as nowadays some film star is, the face of Dior, of Saint Laurent, Chanel, or Da Vinci. And what we see in Proust is how the genius prepares to take his place in history, even while he lives. His life is someone who knows very well how beauty can be false. But falsity is in life too, and ruthless. Think of all those plain companions back there in our youth we should have liked, but just pretended to, and never saw again. The Duchess smiles. She makes her way to us. She knows our name, and all our childish passions come to this. Thank you. And on to the commentary for The Copy of a Kiss. I realise if this is your first time hearing me read a Clive James poem, or the first time you've heard of Proust, or the first time you've heard me read one of the verse commentaries by Clive James on Proust, it'd be a weird introduction. Um, the Copy of a Kiss is one of the last poems in the verse commentary. By this point, Clive James is referring to the sixth volume, um, In Search Lost Time is the book. It's split into seven volumes, and it's 3,000 pages long. And so you get this kind of... By the time you're reading the copy of A Kiss, he's already talked about, you know, dipping the Madeline in the tea, which is what the novel is kind of mostly known for. Um, and you get this kind of... He talks about Proust, and then he talks about Marcel. And what that's in reference to, when he says Proust, he's talking about the author, the real guy who actually lived. And when he mentions Marcel, that's the, the narrator of, of the story, the main character of In Such a Lost Time. Uh, and the other thing I had to Google, having read In Such a Lost Time, which is why I bought this first commentary, um, Clive James refers to a very old English translation of In Such a Lost Time when it was called Remembrance of Things Past in English. The English translation of titles was not um, the original translator's strongest suit. He did, apparently, according to Proust, um, Scott Moncrief, the original translator of Proust in English, did a fantastic translation of the book, but the actual title Proust was not a fan of. And in Copy of a Kiss, Clive James references, she is in The Sweet Cheek Gone, where the Venice flashback is almost a novel in itself. I had to Google that, and the sweet cheat gone is sweet cheat, as in C-H-E-A-T, gone, is the sixth volume. And in French, it was called La Fugitive. And so the, the translation I have in English is just called The Fugitive. Like, there was no reason to change the title to being anything other than what Proust had intended it to be. And for some reason... I don't know if they do this to other authors, but I've noticed a lot when I've read Balzac, Balzac, sorry, Balzac and Proust and a few other French authors. They they don't translate the title literally. They kind of 
the translator gives you a title of what they think the novel's about or what they their impression of the novel. It's kind of a weird thing that some translators do. Um, I don't quite get it. But why I read the copy of A Kiss, which is the 11th poem or 15 in this first commentary, and I didn't just keep reading it chronologically, was because you don't need to read this book chronologically. And this particular scene, this particular uh, poem was actually really fun to read out loud. And because I'm the one who's recording these podcasts every couple of days, I've got to keep myself entertained. And one way to do that is finding something that's fun to read aloud, which Clive James just is in general. Also, it kind of gives you an... This poem gives you a good idea of Proust as a man and then the narrator, Marcel. Uh, and it's a bit autobiographical in that Clive James kind of interrupts the poem with this ten lines a parenthetical remark about his experience as a child. And that kind of ties in really nicely to the way Proust wrote and the way Proust tells stories in that there are these very long parenthetical uh, flashbacks, flash-forwards, flash-sideways. Proust just had no real compunction. He had no real problem just messing around with time. Hence the title of the book, In Search of Lost Time. And just the way he sort of spends the last half of the poem talking about the Duchess de Guermont. And the Guermont way is a, the second or third volume in the book. And so they make a huge part of, of the story. And just the way Clive James was able to put what was happening in you know, turn of the 20th century with what's happening now. It's just, an, it's just a nice kind of story. And I'm babbling, so I'm going to end it there. I hope you enjoy my reading of a cop the copy of a kiss. It's a really good blend of you know, reviewing Proust's sort of sixth and fifth volume. Um, it does really touch on Sodom and Gomorrah, as well as um, the Fugitive, and you can kind of get that sense that Clyde James really enjoyed it and his kind of infectious enthusiasm for the story and the storytelling of Proust really comes through in this poem. So thank you very much for listening. If you made it this far, I really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate you. Thank you.